Dialysis is the only medical procedure guaranteed to anyone who needs it at a cost to taxpayers of over $20 billion a year. But most Americans are unaware of it unless they need it, which means that the dialysis industry, the clinics, machines, and drugs that are used to help fight kidney failure, often goes unnoticed and unmonitored. Robin Fields, a senior editor at ProPublica, spent two years looking into the murky world of America's dialysis industry. On today's underreported segment, we will talk to her about what she found. Robin Fields' series on for ProPublica is called Dialysis, High Costs and Hidden Perils of a Treatment Guaranteed to All. I'm very pleased it brings it to our show today. Hello. Uh, thanks very much for having me. When did dialysis become available to all patients regardless of need? Uh, Congress uh, passed a special entitlement under Medicare uh, to provide it and also transplants in 1972. And the program uh, started in uh, mid-1973. And only kidney failure? There are all sorts of other uh, medical problems that we might want to uh, treat for all, cancer, for example? Certainly. Uh, This sort of came about on a sort of a swell of uh, public interest uh, the rationing of dialysis had become uh, known through a Life magazine article that came out in 1962. And I think that there had sort of been a crescendo of interest. It's a, it's a very sort of stark example of rationing in that it's a treatment that if people don't get it, they, they will very quickly die. You mentioned that when the law was passed, it was assumed that only 35,000 people nationwide would need it. What's the number of people on dialysis today? There are almost 400,000 people on di- on chronic dialysis today. Nearly and, a half million people. Uh, and they expect to, to pass that number by 2020. So the, the cost has gone from the projected $135 million to $20 billion? Yes, and, and per patient, uh, just under Medicare, that's about $77,000 uh, per person per year. And how long is a person typically on dialysis? Um, the life expectancy of a dialysis patient, I think, is is about uh, five to six years now. Has it changed much since uh, the law was passed in 1972? Uh, the life expectancy hasn't changed substantially since probably the mid-'80s. Um, I think one of the issues that we we talk about is that uh, this is an area of, of health care where there still continues to be quite high mortality rates, particularly in comparison to certain other countries around the world. And why is that if everybody has dialysis available? Uh, I think that that's, uh, there are, are a combination of factors that seem to go into it. Certainly our patient demographics are part of that picture. I think another uh, big part of the picture is uh, the care that people get before they reach kidney failure. Uh, th- our, the fragmentation of our health care system plays a, a role in it. And then there's a question of whether it's the care itself. The, how many dialysis clinics are there in the United States? There are now more than uh, 5,000 across the country. So this is uh, a profitable area of medicine. In particular, it seems to be profitable for larger corporate chains, which uh, dominate the services market now. There are two major for-profit companies, Presenius Medical Care North America and DaVita Incorporated. They control two-thirds of the market for dialysis care. Um, they compete with nonprofits? Uh, there are nonprofits. There are for-profit independents and there are for-profit uh, regional chains. 
Roughly uh, a little more than 80 percent overall are uh, of the clinics in the United States are run for profit. Wasn't a study released just recently that demonstrated that for-profit dialysis center operators were less effective than nonprofit centers? Uh, the study that uh, came out recently uh, concluded that for-profit chains, uh, the largest for-profit chains had a higher mortality risk than the largest nonprofit chain. What, and also, what difference are we talking about? 5 percent, 10 percent? They found a more substantial gap than that. They found a, a, a gap of, uh, I think, as much as 24 percent. Wow. Uh, I think, yeah, it's it's a, it's a eye-opening study. Uh, so, and uh, with that in mind, I would think that somebody would be talking about changing things. Well, first of all, why are the for-profits uh, so ineffective? Uh, they have guaranteed income, don't they? They know that they're going to be paid. So you do the best job you can. Well, I think that they would debate that uh, finding and they would also debate the the um, currency of that data. Um, it's based on people who started dialysis in 2004. I, I would th- say, though, that it's the findings of the study were in keeping with some of the more recent uh, information that's come out of the U.S. renal data system. And I think that they would argue that they they are as effective as, as anyone and they're people who are detractors of theirs would say that some of this may have to do with uh, keeping expenses low, keeping uh, staffing lower, and and certain other factors that can affect care. Well, you mentioned that dialysis, the procedure, is often a loss leader and that these companies really make their money by prescribing drugs. That stands to change uh, starting next year when a different payment system comes into effect, which uh, bundles the, the uh, payment for drugs in with the pun- uh, the payment for treatments themselves, but that has been an issue, and and perhaps a perverse incentive in the system that's existed since uh, sort of a a group of drugs came on the market in the mid to late nineties. You also write that there are often skewed financial incentives for clinic operators because of Medicare reimbursements. Exactly. Like well, like what? Uh, well, that's been the primary one of them. But the other the other thing that happened was that the uh, cost of a treatment was reduced and then not uh, tied to inflation, which uh, created a powerful incentive to cut costs. Mm, and and as you said, to then make money from drugs rather than from the procedure itself. Exactly. Robin Fields is here. She uh, wrote a series for ProPublica called Dialysis, High Costs and Hidden Perils of a Treatment Guaranteed to All. And you tell many harrowing stories in both your reporting on the ProPublica website and an article that you was published in Atlantic Magazine, Infections That Led to Terrible Deaths. Which of these stories do you think best encapsulates what you uncovered? Well, in some ways, I think all of them uh, sort of are, are part of the, the, the pattern of issues that we uh, uncovered where uh, issues with care sort of ratchet up the risk level for patients. Um, infection has become a, a particular issue in – Many many healthcare settings, and this one in particular, I think uh, infection has become a, an increasing cause of hospitalization and death, and is particularly dangerous to patients just when they start out, and often start out with a kind of vascular access which makes them vulnerable to that. If you need a treatment, isn't it best to be in Colorado? Uh, do different states have different rules? Um, I think different states have different levels of oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, All of the states uh, have the same set of basic rules because it's all – the regulations are set by Medicare. So 
there's a constancy there, but there can be uh, significant differences in oversight. And your latest article, which was published just uh, yesterday, looks at the state of dialysis in California. You write about a case of a woman whose dialysis treatment was performed by a nurse who had been banned from practicing in Arizona, and she ultimately died because of a needle uh, that was that punctured a blood vessel. So what happens now? Um, I think that one of the, the points of the, the story was that uh, that particular clinic hadn't been inspected in more than 10 years. And I think that that's that's a real issue that uh, we have a lot of health and safety regulations, huge amount numbers of them on paper, and yet here was a situation where, in reality, though there really wasn't that kind of scrutiny. And you say that uh, at least half of California's more than five hundred dialysis centers haven't had a recertification survey for five years or more. One in ten hasn't had one since Bill Clinton was in the White House, uh, according to federal records. Right, and it's supposed to happen. Is this a political thing? Uh, I think it's it's an issue of resources. Uh, It it's obviously California is a state that has really struggled financially, and in general, there hasn't been uh, the resources for oversight. Federally speaking, haven't kept up with the growth of uh, the number of healthcare facilities. You you come up with some incredible uh, oversight violations, Uh, ants. Quote, so common at a unit in, in Durham, North Carolina, that when a patient complained, a staffer just handed him a can of bug spray. And then there was this clinic that infected patients accidentally with blood that had been contaminated with hepatitis C. I thought we we were past that. Well, there's opportunities in a, in a, a facility like a dialysis clinic for, for cross-contamination, and that's exactly what happened in that facility. Uh, there are, you know, a rigorous... Uh, again, re- regulations concerning that on paper, but if you don't follow them, it can be a real uh, vulnerability. Were any of these clinics shut down? That in that clinic in particular did shut down. Why do you think uh, that the poor care and abysmally high mortality rates of U.S. dialysis hasn't received more attention after we're talking about 400,000 people receiving it? I think there's several reasons. One, as you pointed out, uh, this is an area that people might not pay attention to unless they're in it. It's a relatively small patient community, although it's grown quickly. uh, But compared to, for example, hospitals or nursing homes, it just doesn't get on a lot of people's radars. And the other thing is that I think patients themselves are grateful to have any care at all, and they're quite hesitant to complain. You and your colleagues created a dialysis facility tracker, which you say is the first time that dialysis patients have been able to compare the clinics in their area for things like mortality rates. Nobody's done it before? Um, This is based on data that the government has actually had for quite some time, but has chosen to keep largely confidential. Uh, We were able to obtain it under the Freedom of Information Act and put it all out there for people to see. And and some of these companies have reacted negatively to your reporting. Didn't you receive a copy of a leaked document from one of the companies about how they were going to deal with the fallout from the so-called inaccuracies in your article? Uh, I think that they uh, were designing a strategy for more of the industry than actually an individual company. And I think that in some ways that's sort of typical uh, modus operandi of, of – of, groups that feel like they may be under under the spotlight in, in a difficult way. Uh, it was interesting because they had a quite elaborate sort of multi-part uh, plan to deal with it. 
Well, your uh, work has inspired Senator Charles Grassley to to look into dialysis oversight. Is that it for Congress? Well, uh, Senator Grassley has uh, had an interest in dialysis before. Uh, he pressured uh, them for answers uh, early in the in the aughts, and I think that there may well be more uh, action as a result of what he gets in terms of answers back from CMS. Well, this is not the most obvious topic for a journalist. When did you first get interested in looking to the state of dialysis care to the point where you left the Los Angeles Times to join ProPublica in order to work on the topic? Uh, I guess I actually made the move for, for other reasons, but uh, I think that it's it's sort of a a fascinating topic to have gone into at the time that I, I, I began looking at it because the broader conversation about healthcare was dealing with so many themes that ran through dialysis, the desire to widen access, but at the same time, ensure quality, uh, reduce costs. All of these things were so much a part of why the dialysis program came to be. And then another area of the debate, rationing healthcare. Exactly. Uh, in South Africa, that became a big problem. It is a big problem. Um, and I think the story that we ran about South Africa shows that there sort of are entire nations that are sort of haves and have nots. Uh, we are a, a have nation in that we have achieved access to care. And yet, you know, we struggle to achieve uh, quality and cost control. They're uh, essentially trying to cross over into the area that we've reached in terms of just getting people a basic modicum of care. We have very little time. Uh, is this addressed at all in the new health care bill? The health care bill really leaves this pretty much alone. Um, this is a special island of, of Medicare as it is. And I think that one of the interesting things was how this didn't really come up during the debate. Robin Field's series for ProPublica is called Dialysis, High Costs and Hidden Perils of a Treatment Guaranteed to All. Thank you so much for being on today's underreported segment. Well, thank you for having me.